Last year, we did this. All right, so this year, it's gonna be more creative. It's gonna be more gardening, more podcasting, more performance, and also more of the differences that make Detroit the cultural base it is. So just like last year, we started with the fundraiser. We're starting with a fundraiser this year again. I know we can get there, and we're gonna get there with your support. Remember, this is a lot of studio, the podcast performance experience right in the urban garden in the heart of a Detroit neighborhood. Please support this year for everything we're gonna give you. Welcome back to Detroit is Different, back in the podcast studios, and I am here with a very special guest. I know you guys are getting sick of me saying special guest, but guess what? If you're on Detroit is Different, you are a special guest because you're adding to the richness, the culture of the city that I love, you know, the American classic of Detroit. And Detroit actually gets beyond just the proper of Detroit. We have somebody that represents beyond the proper Detroit, but right next to Detroit, we have the mayor of East Point, Monique Owens. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Okay. Well, definitely, definitely. It is cool to have you in full effect. And I know you have a story to share and I'm ready to introduce so many people to it as your story was a story that's already gotten a lot of acclaim in and around, actually, after the victory. When you were running, people was like, she running for mayor of East Point. But then, upon winning, people were like, it's a black woman that's the mayor of East Point. It's like, East Point, East Point? Like, yes, East Point, East Point. So, with that being said, it's great to have you here. And we just want to unpack some of this story. So, your family in Detroit City. What brought your family up this way? Oh, my grandfather, he, you know, he's from the South, came from the South, worked wait, for... Wait, 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 in all classic Detroit, <laughs> you can't just skip over South because it, it goes in different segments when we talk Detroit. So, yeah. whereabouts? Louisiana. Ah, Louisiana. Yeah. Okay. From the, you know, from, from that way, a lot of people from our history came from the South to get work here in, in the North, as we all know, and worked at GM. So, okay. he worked for, you know, uh, a plant. You know, was able to take care of his family off of that. He had a background of, you know, he's a veteran as well. So he went to the Army as well, came here, tried to find somewhere to work, and he found somewhere right here in the city of Detroit, took care of his family, and made a home for himself here in the city of Detroit. And so um, my grandmother worked for, uh, you know, white people all her life. You know, she came from Louisiana herself, and that's mm -hmm. all, you know, she knew. You know, her, her mother's mother you know, uh, sharecroppers and things like that. And so that wasn't too far from, you know, that's my great-great-grandmother. So that's not mm. too far away of, of slavery and sharecropping. People don't understand it hasn't been that long from when we were slaves. And so um, that's all she knew. She had really no education, didn't understand politics. All she knew was hard work and determination. And I think that's where I get a lot of, you know, my work and determination from is my grandmother and my grandfather. Okay, and that's so rich and also like I 
often share in a lot of these stories, uh, the patterns of the Great Migration, where mm-hmm. so many blacks from the South moved up north, mm-hmm. kind of obviously run along the railroad patterns. Yeah. That's why it makes it so unique anytime I meet Detroiters that have family from like Arkansas or Louisiana, mm-hmm. what I would say the further west because usually those people end up in Milwaukee or Chicago. I'm guessing you probably got a whole bunch of family in Chicago. Or I something. do. <laughs> um, so to come a little bit further east of Detroit, mm-hmm. being from Louisiana, mm-hmm. you know, because, you know, it's, it's layers of blackness, even in that black experience. You know, you got a lot of Alabama black folk here. You yeah. definitely got mm, some definitely some Georgia black folk here. Absolutely. You know, even some Florida black folks here. Mm-hmm. So when we think about like... Uh, you know, we think of what was happening in the black bottom, you know, the real lower east side where black folks were always at. You know, it was a bunch of Alabama going on over there. Mm-hmm. So some Louisiana in that mix is unique. Um, what led your grandfather here, you think, other than going a little further west? Like so many, I'm guessing, probably like uh, of his brothers, sisters and other family members, friends. Well, you know, back in those days, you know, uh Michigan, especially Detroit, uh, being part of Michigan, was home of the big three, you know. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people came here for the job opportunity and be able to, and especially what they were paying at that time was to African-Americans a lot of money, you know. Certain, you know, payments were the most money that they ever was able to make, you know, uh, other than the South. Mm -hmm. And so coming here and be able to, you know, uh, work hard, have a decent pay and be respected amongst their peers to a certain degree. Because, you know, at that time when they was working um, in a big three and and plants, they probably still dealt with some racism and things like that. But it was still better than where they came from. So having a fresh start and having a new way of life and a better quality of life for their family, a lot of people took that, you know, that journey and coming here. And I believe that's why my grandfather did that. He wanted a better quality of life for his family and wanted to start over and a new change, you know. That's deep. That's deep. So yeah. whereabouts Louisiana? You got to ask that question, too. You know what? You know, when my grandfather died, he, he died when I was young. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, part of Louisiana, I don't know exactly the part. So I'm still learning about my history and where he came from. So he died when I was really young. And mm-hmm. my grandmother died, actually, when I had just ran for politics. So, and that's the thing with our African-American uh, grandmothers and great-grandmothers, we don't instill our, our heritage and our uh, black history. So then sometimes we don't know who we are and exactly mm-hmm. where we come from and those that lineage and things mm-hmm. like that. So still trying to find, you know, my lineage and uh, my, you know, and my roots is something that I am, you know, trying to break those barriers for my children to know where they came from. And I think that's where we have a disconnect in who we are because we can say we're from Alabama, Mississippi, and then you don't even know really uh, what part or, you know, or the, mm-hmm. those people there. And you don't know, um, you know, the connections you can make because you don't know who your family are, you know, and that started a long time ago. But if we don't pass out, uh, pass down, I'm sorry, the information of who we are, who our family are, you know, is and things like that, we don't know who we are. So mm-hmm. we're going kind of forward blindsided, but it's up to us to find out those things. So, you know, my grandfather died when I, like I said, was really young mm-hmm. and, you know, I told, you know, was told uh, small stories of the things that I told you and things like that. So still learning about, you know, my past so I can better make uh, better decisions for the future. And so sometimes you have to know what, what that past is. And, and then sometimes that past is hard. Like it's, it's yeah. a lot of folks that made it up this way. Uh, the great Jimmy Boggs of the boxing mm-hmm. is like, I ain't going back. Yeah. Cause some of the things they were running from, 
or leaving. I shouldn't say running from because mm -hmm. they were leaving some some horrors uh, in uh, in Mayor Coleman Young's book, uh, Hard Stuff. It, it opens with mm -hmm. his family escaping Alabama from the Ku Klux Klan. Right. So some of some of those journeys in the Great Migration, as much as it was running concurrent for better quality of life opportunities with work, it was also with just living itself as that was a tumultuous time uh, when we look at that Jim Crow era of the South mm -hmm. uh, and, and what what existed from that mm -hmm. uh, and that first bastion, people like your grandfather and Jimmy Boggs, when we think yeah. of like that first bastion of black folks to, mm -hmm. you know, be in the union and join the join uh, these manufacturing plants, which, you know, the Sojourner Truth Homes and so much like just come straight from a lot of these narratives. So, okay. so much of the narratives, what neighborhood, what neighborhood did your, your people grow up in, in and around Detroit? Um, we grew up over there, Mac and Buick. Wow. Yes. So, right in the, so you all went to the, <laughs> to the center where the black, where the black experience in Detroit was. Uh, absolutely. Okay. You know, uh, growing up over there and the thing I, I didn't like about growing up on Mac and Bewick was, you know, having Indian Village and you have a separation of class, you mm -hmm. know. So you got people that have uh, mansions and are millionaires and then you have people that are making, uh, trying to make ends meet. You mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? And they all are just one block away from each other shopping at the same grocery store. So I never understood that whole concept of, you know, the separation of, of class and, you know, and, and differences in that. Because I'm like, what makes that person different? I know their house is bigger, but they got to eat the same food that I got to eat. You know what yeah. I'm saying? And so I, I just learned a lot seeing things that was around me. And I didn't want to separate, you know, myself from who I was just because you made more money than me. Or, you know, you had this education or you had two parents in the house. I still knew my destiny was still big. It didn't, you know, just because you lived over here and I lived over there, I still knew what my destiny was more than what I seen and what I grew up around. Okay. And that's such a, you know, I guess... It's kind of like um, Joy Road's Exit 9 is labeled like through music and certain street culture. Like people speak about Mac and Bewick as if it's like the, you know, a, a scene from the Warriors movie in the 80s <laughs> or something. But in reality, Mac has a, it's a culture of its own, like inside of, inside of Detroit of like definitely a little bit of grime creativity. You know, it's always been some gardening over there. It's been some it's been a little bit of like, you know, uh, you know, saying just a lot comes from there. Even like Detroit's rap culture, a lot of rappers are like right in that footprint or kind of came through that footprint. Um, and, you know, shout out to Alberta Tinsley Talabi, uh, mm -hmm. Honorable Alberta Tinsley Talabi, another Absolutely. another uh, person, woman that made great strides politically and with yeah. uh, Mac Alive, that foundation and everything. Uh, wh what was it like being a kid in that neighborhood for you? What do you remember most? What was, you know, what, what did you look forward to? What was that experience like? Well, I love going to Bustle Family Center right over there. Mm -hmm. So it was, you know, mm -hmm. uh, dynamic and fun. And, the, you know, oh, wait, the neighborhood. The, west side, I gotta <laughs> say, the east side Bustle. East the side. east side Bustle. It's, uh, Bustle was such a, 
impact of Detroit is two rec centers mm-hmm. named after Butzel. Yes. Got the east side one and the west side one. Yeah. West siders just didn't, you know, but continue. Yeah, so, you know, in the neighborhoods were good. I think sometimes we take pride in saying, oh, I grew up in a hood as African-Americans, like that mm-hmm. defines us. But as African-Americans, we have good neighborhoods. Our neighborhoods that didn't start as so-called the hood, and we say, yeah, that's where I grew up from. I, you know, we need to take pride in saying, if you're if you have a good neighborhood, that's where I grew up. We take more pride in saying, yeah, it was it was bad over there, and you know it made me. But sometimes good neighborhoods can make you too. Mm-hmm. So I think sometimes we uh, we forget that those neighborhoods that African Americans come from, good families, good neighborhoods, good structure. Everything is not where we come from. It's a hood. Okay, and you know, you and spoke, I think we do that all the time and take pride in that. It's it's okay to say this is where I come from and this is who I am, but don't always put so much emphasis on, you know, uh, that we we live a, a bad quality of life because we don't. We come from uh, black people were millionaires. Black people had their own homes. Black people were also Republicans. Black people, you know, own businesses and were doctors. So we don't, you know, so let's take pride in those things. Let's take pride in saying, oh, we had good streets. Our, our lights were on. Um, you know, it was two families in a home. We don't talk about it enough, but we take pride in saying, yeah, that was, that was a hood. My homie got shot over there. And it's like, hold on, that's not all who we are. We're more than that. Mm-hmm. How about let's talk about, yeah, I grew, grew up in a neighborhood, you know, where there wasn't shooting. We don't talk about that enough and take pride in that all the time. So we need to restructure how we think and what we say because we're not our neighborhoods. We're not our hoods. We are the individuals. And, and the, you know, and our neighborhoods and our hoods don't define who we are. I, I love what you said. And, and really, that's the premise of a lot of these stories to just yeah. unpack some of it. And a, as you spoke to, something that's just big it's it's understanding that it's a tapestry like like my neighborhood i mean it, it, on this block it's as i tell people if you if you want to get into uh what i call black collar life <laughs> if you want to do something street it's some street options mm-hmm. but it's so many more options than the street options that exist in these communities and have always existed mm-hmm. but if you want to get into you know uh, uh, uh something something that uh Definitely ain't uh, coloring outside the lines uh, that the law may look at as a little bit uh, not in the books. Mm -hmm. Those options exist as well. Mm -hmm. And I think those options exist in all communities. It's just that the form that exists in our community, just due to media, messaging, Mm -hmm. uh, it's more prominent. Uh, Even my favorite art form of hip hop, like it becomes more prominent as if it is that. And you spoke specifically to a rec center. Mm-hmm. Uh, as something that stood out as a child. That's unique because mm-hmm. people always talk about rec centers and music yeah. and exercise are so needed for kids, but mm-hmm. usually the funding is just like non-existent right. um, around the time when these connections are made. What right. was the rec center like for you when you were a kid? You have the swimming, you had you know interaction, being able to meet other kids and things like that. We don't have that right now uh, like we should. Mm-hmm. All the kids know is swipe, swipe, and things like that, TikTok and things like that. I know that's the next, our next generation of what we're going into, but mm-hmm. kids don't know how to speak to each other. We, I couldn't, I couldn't wait to go meet another kid and say, "What's your name? Where do you live?" Or sitting on a porch and running down the street and you know playing hopscotch. Those things are what created me as you know as a family neighborhood. Getting to know my neighbors. We don't know our neighbors anymore. We don't know uh, kids don't play with kids anymore. If you uh, ran down 
the street, you knew the neighbor saying, uh, I'm going to tell your mom, you know, or come here. I'm I'm spanking you. You were scared of your neighbors because they were like your parents, too. And so that is like wholesome living. And I think we got away from that, you know. Mm-hmm. So growing up uh, on Mac and Bewick was like a home for me. It was what I knew. It was, you know, it was safe. You know, mm-hmm. it wasn't uh, killing, shooting, you know, because when you say those signature names, oh, you you grew up in Mac and Beewick, it's like, oh, you out cold. You're like, no, well, you, now it might be in certain areas, but where you live doesn't mean that you live bad because people have to understand. I can talk to a lot of Caucasians and Jewish people. They lived in these areas, too. You know, they lived in Detroit, too. They're from Detroit. I mean, Detroit is really Detroit. So it was people that were French that lived here, that lived on Mac and Bewick. You don't, you know, if you see a Caucasian say, I lived on Mac and Bewick, they're not going to, you know, are you going to say, oh, you grew up in the hood? They don't talk like that. So mm-hmm. why do we, you know, use words and terms that when we grow up in certain areas that, oh, it's just automatically hood. But other groups live in those areas, too, and they don't describe it as that. So I think sometimes we degrade our own well-being in our own neighborhoods by defining what that neighborhood is because of a group that lives there. Just because you're African-American or don't make a certain amount of money doesn't make it hood. Mm-hmm. That's all. So, so That's all, folks. That, <laughs> uh, within that comes, like, the next big story. Uh, your your mom, what what was what did she do? What, what was it like uh, growing up looking at her navigate life as you were as you were younger? You know what? My mom went to King. Most of my family went to King. KC. Yeah, so, King you know, the cruise, yeah, right, the cruise uh, Saders and things like that. So, Bustle, King, and all those things. So, so it was all in that football. All yeah. in that football. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And so, you know, and we grew up very religious. So, my mom, you know. What and, church? Uh, Pentecostal. We grew up Pentecostal Church of God. So, you know, I have no what, earrings. What, what uh, okay, so give us, you got to <laughs> give us the pastor. You got to give us the name of the church. What, what? Yes, uh, Pentecostal uh, Church of God. It was mm-hmm. at the North End, and mm-hmm. we were very long skirts, no earrings, you know, no tattoos, no coloring of the hair, and all those things. And mm-hmm. I did. I'm grown now, so I done did all that. So mm-hmm. sorry, Pastor. But mm-hmm. you know, so growing up in a very strict environment and uh and having structure, that's all I that's all I know. Were you one of the kids that went to church like Thursday through Sunday? I went Monday through Sunday because we went oh. to a church school. The, the, the church created a whole school. Okay. So, you know, it's like, really, Mom? So I went to that school from kindergarten to 12th grade. Wow. So, you okay. know, so being in that structure all your life and living a certain way all your life and not uh, believing in politics and not believing in voting, you're, you know, um, we were so close to the same type of culture and uh, studies of Jehovah Witness to so it was so similar that people thought we was Jehovah's Witness, you know, and mm-hmm. so, but we weren't. So we didn't believe in holidays and things like that, you know. And so moving and going, a redir- you know, redirecting my, my life away from what I was taught and all that I knew was different for me because that's all I knew, you know. And God w- had, you know, was able to open my mindset to the world that we live in because, you know, as we are Christians and as we do know the word of God, we still have to live in this world. And you want people that are in these positions in leadership to know God and have a heart and to know, have a conscience. And so, you know, so shifting to another era in which I never thought I would go. I never thought I was going to be a mayor or a council person or create history and things like that. Those just people I know that create history. I wasn't, I didn't think I was going to be a history maker. But like I said, as a child growing up in that area, I knew it was more for me. I just didn't know what that was. So, so in this space, were you 
Because I definitely know the arc of a child. Teenagers are rebellious no matter what. You, you know, you could have you could have grew up uh, with your dad and mom being rock and rollers, and, and you'd have right. been like, "Ah, I hate this rock and roll. I'm gonna go to the church." You know, uh, that's just I think the exploration of your the, the transitioning from adolescence to adulthood is mm-hmm. to challenge you challenge mm-hmm. what you know most. Right. But um, but being in a Pentecostal, uh, in a Pentecostal church, mm-hmm. uh, in that house. What do you think drew your mom there as that foundation for you as a child? What What do you think she found there as a place of uh, as safety and mm-hmm. and guidance for for you as a child? Well, she grew up in that church. My grandfather, he was a uh, elder there, okay. the one who uh, worked at GM and things like that. Okay. And my grandmother, you know, uh, urged her and things like that. So they instilled that in her, and she instilled it in us. But she saw different things that she didn't want to push too much uh, in us, you know, and, and make it too strict. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, growing up in a Pentecostal school and not understanding why it was so strict and why I can't think outside of the box when I, my teachings is God is a big God, but yet when I think big, I felt like I was sinning. So I didn't understand that. It's like, okay, God wants me to be to think big, to do big things, but you're you're somewhat to me, you're restricting me from that because everything I do felt like it was a sin. I'm like, well, how does that work? So, you know, so, you know, just uh, asking God, and this is me at a young age trying to mm-hmm. find myself and trying to find, you know, who I'm supposed to be, you know. Mm-hmm. So when you're reading the Bible and they're teaching you how to walk this line, but in this world, it's, the line is not always straight. You're going to go into some bumps and bruises, and how do you deal with those things? You know, you have to, you know, get some bumps and bruises to know how to deal with them. Mm-hmm. You know, all of them don't have to be on your own you know, figuring out on your own because the Bible teaches you how to deal with certain things. But at the same time, you know, when you're so sheltered, like I was, I was sheltered, you know, you still have that curiosity. Adam had the curiosity, right? And he ate the apple and so did Eve. But once you have that curiosity and you go outside, they still had had God to actually help them, you know, because when you're, when you're in this box, you always have curiosity, right? Because you're taught to don't do this, don't do that, don't do this. And then you're going to be like, okay, I know why not, but let me try it anyway, you know, just to see it, you know. And so I, I want to try different things. I was always open-minded. Even my teachers to this day, they, you know, when I, you know, uh, I remember I got in trouble because I was so open-minded to, to reading and doing things. I remember I brought a Source magazine. I know you remember the Source magazine, oh, yeah, right? Had Biggie, Lil' Kim and everything. And I was a big rap fiend. Oh, my God. I had to hide that from my mom. I'm like, okay, how you going to be this Pentecostal girl? You love, you know, Lil' Kim. You know, you love Biggie. You love all these people. You love Nas and all this stuff. It's like, oh, but this is who I was, you know. Mm-hmm. So I remember I, I left my Source magazine on mm-hmm. the desk. And I meant to hide it, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I left it there. And I got a call because I missed school today. I got a call from my friends. They were like, Monique, guess what? The teacher found your Source magazine and she put it on her desk. I was like, what? Because I was a little sassy, little something. I'm like, what? So I went to school. I was ready. I said, um, excuse me, you know, because we called each other sister, brother, mm-hmm. elder, pastor. Mm-hmm. You know, my teacher at the time was Sister Johnson. Shout out to Sister Johnson. She's still listening to this right now. <laughs> she go, She probably remember it. Um, and I said, excuse me, I heard you had my magazine. Hilarious. She said, what you say, young lady? Hilarious. Well, I bought that magazine, so it's mine. Hilarious. So she was like, look, you know what I'm saying? Like, hold on now, you know. <laughs> and so because everything that I bought was mine. You know, okay, my wait. mom was a single mom. Let me, let me stop. For, for, for young people watching, 
Never, never approach a teacher in that manner. Never. Just just charge it to the game. Yes. Charge it to the game. Miss Dean, my counselor from eighth grade, still has my West Side Connection cassette tape. With the Source magazine, though? Uh, Yeah, yeah, no. But you know what? That, you know. And I was a very respectful child it was just certain things meant a lot because mm-hmm. reading the source was like my outside you yeah. know world of not everything church 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 so mm-hmm. whether it was it was talking about what was going on in the streets what was what they were talking about because biggie and little kim they didn't grow up you know churchy and all that stuff i think some of them went to church but they didn't grow mm-hmm. to you know uh live their whole lifestyle like i did in church mm-hmm. so they had a different perspective and an out you know outlook on life and i want to know that so i used to get magazines to read about certain things and it was weird because i had to hide it mm-hmm. you know because some of that stuff had you know uh cuss yeah, words yeah, in it and yeah. things like that the references and references it's, and it's you know reason, it's a reason why luke invented the parental advice <laughs> yeah you know? yeah so, so yeah definitely this is you know you you mentioned adam i'm thinking all i'm thinking in this story is uh sister act two and <laughs> <laughs> I would be right, exactly. So it was like I just, you know, I just wanted. I had, I was trying to find who I was, and that, I, you know, I, I love to rap. I was, I was a, a class clown at the time. I was just always outgoing Expressive. and outspoken, Expressive you know. And my and teachers didn't, and I, and I used to get kicked out of school for that because it was like. Okay, what what scripture she didn't? You know what I'm saying? Like, hold on, this is she's not following. You know the rules, and I'm like, the mm-hmm. rules are. Being myself, finding who I am, and loving, and y'all embracing that. And you know, they didn't embrace who I was as a child. They tried to shut it down and shut it up, and they couldn't. And you know, my mom used to come up to the schools all the time. I remember when I came to school with one piece of purple in my hair. Oh my God, I think they were saying, You going straight to, you know what, you cannot wear purple, pink, or nothing. Mm -hmm. But it pushed me to say, Because. I saw that crush on you video. Yeah, I was like, Hold on now. I want that. I, I gotta like have it. Yeah. So it was just, you know, and then just wearing that and expressing myself. And I'm like, okay, so you're saying I'm gonna go to hell because I got a pink piece of hair in my hair or because I wanna wear earrings or because I wanna do this. I was like, God is not like that. He's bigger than that. You know, I'm not gonna live my life perfect and I don't to this day. But at the same time, I know, you know, uh, God doesn't define where people are going based upon how they look, you know, Mm -hmm. and I knew that as a child. And so my mom used to come up to the school like, y'all not going to wear a little hairnet. Like she just, you know, because at the time she divorced my dad and was a single mom at the time. So she didn't want you to keep bothering her child who's expressing herself, who's Mm -hmm. smart. I always got A's. I was at the top of my class. I graduated valedictorian. So it wasn't about my knowledge. It was about me finding who I really was and expressing that and showing that I am not in a box, you know. And so just, you know, gearing, you know, at that time, even as a child, you can see me floating away from what my teachings were of, you know, of being in a box. My teachings of God didn't stray away, but I just took my teachings of God and say, okay, he's, a, he's bigger than this. You know, so when I became a comedian to a police officer to all these different things, you know, people didn't understand it, but they knew me. You know, the people I grew up with, they said, yeah, that's that's Monique. We knew her. She was always a class clown. She was always outgoing. She was always outspoken. She didn't care who it was, but she always voiced what her beliefs were. And so that's the same. I'm the same person to this day. So as you share that, you you touched on a couple other things in life that that happened and impacted and and I would say this too and and I was asking just you know what was your mom's perspective because sometimes you know um when we think about community uh 
some of the key things that define communities deal with the resources for children. Uh, right now, just due to uh, a lot of laws that have shifted uh, that were systemically racist, as we know, the quote unquote redlining, uh, as it defined, like the red lines that were drawn around, you know, districts where uh, were that excluded black people from owning properties. I mean, even this house I sit in right now is very unique because this was a Jewish community at one point in time when my grandfather bought this home. Um, so it was rare uh, for him to get the GI Bill from World War II and actually yeah. be able to purchase this home. And, and you can no longer exclude on race alone, though there are other exclusionary tactics. And one of the key exclusionary tactics is, quote unquote, good school district. Mm -hmm. You know, so when we think about community, we often define community around children, um, which is defined around a good school district, which is i.e. good school district usually means there ain't that many black folk around here. You know what I'm saying? The more black folk that usually enter a school district, the more the school district is rated bad. You talk to a realtor, Mm -hmm. they can't tell you what they used to say, because mm-hmm. I can only imagine in the 1940s, they were probably like, hey, there's a bunch of spooks that live on that street. You don't want to go there. You know what I'm saying? Whereas now to be like, hey, it's not that good of a school district over there. Mm-hmm. This, the, this has so much socioeconomic impact mm-hmm. as the value of, of a home can be lended upon to pull out more more money to possibly pay for college, possibly pay for a medical procedure, possibly, um, you know, just refinance your home because you need to make improvements on your home, like mm-hmm. different things like that. But, you know, things like a school district have a lot of impact. So mm-hmm. that's why when I ask questions like that, you know, parents are very eager to uh, do so much to end up with what they consider the best school district for their children because you rarely meet a parent even if the kid bring, breaks them through everything, you know, every emotion <laughs> that they don't want to go through, that parent still wants to have a school district that uh, a school opportunity for their child that is optimal. Mm-hmm. So it's unique as you tell that story about uh, uh a school of faith, a religious-based school, mm-hmm. being that place where your mom found a center and a grounding for you as a child. Mm-hmm. And then beyond that, like I say, as a, as a teenager, you're going to, you're definitely going to, you're going to challenge. That's what we do. We challenge. Absolutely. The, the smarter the teenager, the more challenging it's going to be. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes I'm sure your mom was like, man, if I, if my kid was dumb, I wouldn't have to deal with it. <laughs> You know right, exactly. Like a, 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 a slower kid, you can just be like, "Yeah, we just doing that today." You know, a smarter exactly. kid, like, "Why are we going this way?" And da 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 da. And they doing it like this in Baltimore and exactly. in, in China, they doing this, and it's like, what? I, right. I'm not trying to talk about China. I'm just saying right. that right now, as of uh, this time today, you washing dishes. Exactly. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I want to hear nothing about Japan and what kids do there. You know. Exactly. Um, but with that being said. Now you're in a position like that. You're mm-hmm. mayor of a city. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that puts so much is interconnected with that. You, like a lot of people are relying upon you solidifying that decision that they've made mm-hmm. so that they do have a home and a space because so much of these life decisions are built on and around children mm-hmm. as much as it's so it's I find it very unique as you know mm-hmm. uh, um, that children are so thought about how we make actions, mm-hmm. but so rarely 
engaged with Mm -hmm. directly. You know what I'm Mm -hmm. saying? It's like it's so much care about children, but it's less care about the specific who that child is. Mm -hmm. You even have a children's book. I do. So I want to talk a little bit about that because that kind of goes into that as you're talking kind of to the inner child in you. So what led you into that world and being in the position you're in now so much of it, I'm sure, just relies on, like, you know, I'm just going off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. I think people feeling like they're in a city where their children can thrive. Right. Um, and I thank you for the, that question. And so me doing this children book is pretty much going back into how I was taught not knowing. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I didn't really know the dynamics of politics until I was, you know, in my late 30s. And mm. that's why I'm talking about when you're growing up a certain way in a box and you're sheltered, you're kind of sheltered from the world and how they think and what they do and how things are governed. And so I said, I don't want children to grow up like me and be miseducated, misinformed, or just don't know. So I started this book, you know, with my daughters who are twins and saying, Mom, what's the mayor? And I created uh, my book off that question. But saying, you got you to flash the people. <laughs> and it comes with a whole gavel. So, yeah, because I got to, you know, shut it down with the gavel. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? So so hopefully when kids are in class, they don't have the source. They will have mom was the mayor, mm-hmm. you know, uh, reading that. So I want kids to understand the roles of government and also how they can play a part in those roles. So this book is not just for children. This is for adults as well. Okay. Um, you know, when I ran my election, everybody was happy to have representation from white to black to Republicans to Democrats because, you know, it's a, a nonpartisan role. But, you know, I take into, uh, you know, to consideration all things that people believe in, you know, and, and including what I believe in, you know. And so when people elected me, they were excited, they were happy. But, you know, from another standpoint, not saying other cultures don't know, but I have to always talk about my culture because um, that's what I deal with the most, at, you know, when I'm talking to people, is they didn't know what a mayor did. Mm-hmm. They were excited to have someone that looked like them from their old neighborhood as a representation and saying, yeah, we got somebody that can represent us, but what you doing? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I said, so this is more of a, a, a family book, an all-around book to get us started to knowing what, who we are voting for, why, and guess what? You too can be the next mayor. And so sometimes um, we hide things from each other or we feel like society is hiding things. Like we can't be a congressperson or a president. It seems so untouchable. It seems like we're reaching for something that cannot be accomplished or you have to have this education to get it or you have to grow up this way. And I'm like, no, let me show you. It's this simple. You can make a difference too. Don't complain about it. You have the power. And I think sometimes we don't know what the power that we have in us. So that goes all the way back to when I was a child talking about power. It's talking about God and God puts power and gifts in each and every one of us. But the thing about it is we don't know how to tap into those gifts. We start uh, relying on people to do things for us. We start relying on the government to to fund our schools, to, to make sure that, you know, um, this is getting done, that is getting done. And we take our independence and our power and give it to somebody else. And then when things aren't getting done, all we do is sit and don't do nothing about it. But everybody has the power to change the law. Everybody has the power to amend one. And everybody has the power to sit at the table. And I'm like, let me read this, write this book and let me show you how to do it, you know. And I'm a prime example of that. So, you know, telling my story of what I didn't know, 
I didn't grow up from this. You know, I, I came from a religious background. So this is a, you know, uh, a person that's spiritual and still saying you can still be spiritual and sit at the table, too. And you and we need more spiritual people at the table because things are done in a different way. It's not done in your your personal agenda or the other person. It's like, OK, once you pray about it and figure it out, you're going to do it on God's agenda. You know what I'm saying? So you're still at the table. You're still, uh, you know, have the title. But the person who is supposed to help you run and help you lead is the one above. And sometimes I think people get in these positions and forget who gave you the power and they forget how to use it. And we get so excited and get giddy and we use these titles and we run with it and use it as a celebrity thing. Cause in Michigan, you know, uh, you can be a political uh, celebrity. Come on now. And people use that to, you know, to, to use that to get in the door and that's fine. But when you walk in the door, are you using that title to help other people get in the door or it's all about you, you know? And so, um, the book was like created again for children to grow up learning about leadership, learning how to tap into their power and also share, Share those concepts with their parents. So we're 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 building family structure. That's what I was talking about before. Family structure. We're talking about governance. We're talking about power. We're talking about leadership. And those are the things that I grew up with. So I didn't grow up in a hood. I grew up in a neighborhood that probably turned into a hood. So, you know, but again, that did not define me. And if you live in a hood, change your hood to a neighborhood. Don't be happy with what and don't settle. And I think we came to a point in our lives where we're, we settled with what was given. And then that's why I said this book is talking about taking your power and changing um, the dynamics. You know, you took this the space and made it to, you know, a place where people can do things, tap into their power at little to no cost. You didn't have to do that. But you said, you know what, I'm going to use uh, who I am and my vision to help other people with their vision. And that's what this book is about, too. That's powerful. Um, at last year, uh, that that's very powerful as I, I'm, I'm a strong proponent of um, some of the information is just tougher to find. Uh, my mm-hmm. my grand my my grandmother uh, was definitely big on voting. Uh, I remember we were in line as kids to go vote for Jesse Jackson back in uh, <laughs> back in 88 with her. Um, and definitely my mom was big on that too. And uh, my mom even used to tell me like back when she was back when she was at Central High School, they had a local government class. Uh, wow. Most government is given from a national perspective, but even from a national perspective at the collegiate level with my bachelor's degree, I was only introduced in my government class. Really, it was more about the Constitution and the foundation of the Constitution and, you know, the way Madison and those guys almost like got into a fight, which really never really was resolved because leaving there led to the Civil War. It just took mm-hmm. a couple, it just took, you know, some decades later for the South to right. be like, we don't really need y'all anyway because we kind of still mad at this three, three-fifths compromise thing. Mm-hmm. Um but it never really talks about lo- local governance. Mm-hmm. Uh, last year, we did a special project. Detroit is different. Partnered with uh, Riverwise Magazine, where we spoke about the different government systems, specifically to the local election in Detroit. Mm-hmm. And in learning that, uh, my project manager enlightened me on so much because digging through some of these local ordinances mm-hmm. is is unique. Uh, mm-hmm. Like just finding out that states basically sanction 
municipalities or townships mm -hmm. or villages to, you know, to have their own charters. So mm -hmm. like Detroit has their charter and we choose uh, what's known as like a heavy mayoral system, meaning mm -hmm. that the mayor has so much executive control. Mm -hmm. But also there are other bodies where council can have like a, a share control. You can have like a mixed bag where you kind of have like a city manager, mm -hmm. almost like your your city council president acts as making some mayoral decisions, but mm -hmm. executive decisions are are shared. And mm -hmm. right now, I know a couple of you guys are falling asleep right now, but get that book, get that book, and you're going to learn this. And some of these terms you really need to know because these yeah. things impact you. You need yeah. to know the difference between what an executive and legislative branch does mm -hmm. and also how that even impacts the judicial branch right. as it's so many things happening right now before our eyes. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the flooding Mm -hmm. That impacted many Detroiters. Right. And just Southeast Michigan itself. That that those are dominoes where you intersect multiple bodies of executives. Mm -hmm. So it's like it's like county, uh, different mayors from different cities, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and you many legislators, mm -hmm. you know, up to the, the federal government. Yeah. So and then you end up with like, you know, walking downstairs, looking at your basement and you're like, Oh man, I heard FEMA giving money. Yeah. And now you you're you're on Instagram googling FEMA. Mm -hmm. You or, or searching FEMA. Right. Instead of knowing what to do. Hence mm -hmm. books like that can help you know what to do. You know what I'm saying? So this this is where like I don't want to get too too government class on you, but right. this stuff becomes very important when yeah. you're trying to know who to talk to. Mm -hmm. You know, even when it comes to roads. Some roads right. are state roads. Some yeah. roads are city roads. Some right. roads are county roads. Yeah. You driving down the street, hitting a pothole, and you thinking, oh, man, I hate the city. Right. Could be the county. Exactly. And so a lot of it's not like you read the book because you knew a lot. But some of the things that you, you know, you pointed out is in the book. And what I like about the book, it has a definition area where you people probably heard these words and didn't know what they meant. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I want people to be, you know, educated to a point where they know something, you know, mm -hmm. something is better than nothing. And I always like to be in a room with, you, know, you might not get everything that person's saying, but you're able to go into and talk into conversations. You get to understand what people are saying. So, you know, this is just a, a basic form of what a lot of people don't know. You know, a lot of people probably didn't know a lot of things that you just said, but, it's a conversation piece. They can be part of the conversation. So if somebody asks them a question, they know something where people can add to that. Mm -hmm. So we want people to be a part of the conversation. And so this book is actually one of a series of other books. So you will see mom was the mayor. Mom was a Congress, you know, congressperson. Uh, mom was a senator. You know what I'm saying? So I am the new uh, school, you know, schoolhouse of rock. Was that school? Yeah, okay. yeah. I'm so we like remember it. I'm just the bill. So, you know, um, mm -hmm. and things like that. So what I love about this book is I'm going to do a different series. But in every book, it's a person that was the first. I like so it. it's like black history. So, you know, if I do mom was the president, of course you're going to see President Obama. Mom was the vice president. Come on now, Kamala and vice versa like that. So you want to get a glimpse of who did it first because when we grew up, in our history books said, you know, uh, this president, that president, nobody looked like us. I don't remember. Do you remember that? I don't. And so these are the new history books to me. 
So like it's like, it. you know, somewhat of, you know, government, who's part of government, local, you know what I'm saying, to state, all the way up to the president of the United States. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, and a lot of people don't even know what uh, um, a counselor is, you know, and things like that. An ambassador. These are, mm-hmm. you know, people that work for the U.S. government. These are mm-hmm. actually positions and jobs and yeah. how to get that from the a president dip- and things like that. Mm-hmm. And diplomat. We don't know how to do that. I'm still learning, you know, and and that's okay that we're still learning. But let me put in a book and, you know, do the research and help you get a concept of what's going on around you. Because once you see what's going on around you, you might want to be a part of it. And let me show you how. I I think it's very key and very important, uh, especially when it comes to local government, because most of our orientation, I know my orientation to a lot of local government, I learn about it from people, which I get a lot of. I love social capital. I mean, I'm I'm on a podcast talking all the time, as you all see. I, I go sometimes we go two hours deep, but uh, <laughs> but you're gonna get even from me if if I give you information, you're gonna get it with my bias. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you want it with uh, minimal amounts of bias. I'm not saying books aren't biased because sometimes they can be too, but at least sometimes when you can read between the lines and hear it in your own voice, it you you hear things differently because Detroit was one of those meccas where the history books aren't aren't given in that text, but Mm -hmm. this was the Detroit I grew up in was a stronghold for black political power. Mm -hmm. Um, With that stronghold for black political power, it comes with certain trade-offs, you know, certain things, obviously, you know, it's it's the classic, you know, the black guy get in there, you ain't going to get the same resources that others had. Mm -hmm. And some of that is systemic racism. Mm -hmm. Some of that is just the infrastructure isn't built. Some of that is possibly just timing. Like it's, it's many nuances that go into this mix. Mm -hmm. Uh, With that being said, I I do have uh, just, just what has been the response to this book, enlightening people to something from a local government perspective, because most times people only really think about federal government right and federal government i'm I'm like the opposite not saying that federal government doesn't matter but i'm Mm -hmm. way more concerned about my local government Mm -hmm. than i am about federal government i feel like sometimes federal government not saying that you can't make an impact or you can't make waves but local government you can we can i've seen winds of change happen Mm -hmm. federal government it's a lot more steps in that mix. Right. You know, how has the response been enlightening people to local government? I think uh, people seeing someone that looks like them was enlightening right then and there without me even saying nothing. Mm -hmm. So sometimes when people, people didn't really pay attention to who a mayor, who the mayor was of East Point till they found out, you know, that person was black. Mm -hmm. Oh, then they got all type of questions because Mm -hmm. the reason being behind that to a certain degree is, it's someone that I can talk to. I feel comfortable. I won't sound stupid or ignorant if I don't know how to do something. And so sometimes when we see people at the table that look like us, you feel more comfortable and you can engage more. And so I did that. That's a lot what I did like. But the other part, don't start blaming me for something I just got into because I am African-American. And so sometimes when you're African-American, things don't go a certain way or the crime been bad. But since they just found out you black, it's because of you. It's like it's like no, you know. I came into a, a a city, or you can come into a position where things need to be rebuilt and you know and redone, and you have to re- and it takes time to redirect that, you know. And me having a background as a police officer and things like that, it takes time to do those things. But I can't tell people, okay, don't do this and that. People are are adults, and every city has crime and things like that. But teaching people, um, in this book about 
what some of the roles I do, not all of the roles, but some of the basic roles and how to become one is a start. And then, like you said, once people know about local government and how that works, people start educating themselves because a lot of times when you, Detroit is so big and so respect to, you know, the mayor of, De, of Detroit, I always give respect to those in leadership, you know, whether people have their own mindset about who they are. I have to, I have to respect it. But, you know, coming from Detroit, it's so big, you know, you're taught and trained a certain thing that, you know, you see a building. Oh, I can just make that building, you know, a, a shoe store or, you know, a hair salon or things like that. And then you, when you come into an area and then you think you can do the same thing and then, you know, you need architectural work or things like that and you're getting charged. It's like and you don't know about zoning and planning and things like that because sometimes we're not educated that that city has a charter, like you said, and it has laws on how to bring your business there. And then they say, OK, well, let me go talk to the mayor. You know, they're giving me a hard time and they're racist and stuff like, you know what, that might be the case. I don't know until I investigate it. But how about you might just not know the rules, the regulations and the laws. And so um, and not that, and that's why I like to be there, too, because I want to try to pull us away. Not saying things aren't racial. I'm not saying that. But when you're educated first. And you know your stuff, and then you're still pinpoint, and then you still see the ratio. Now you're playing me because I know the laws, I know what I'm doing. And if you don't give me X, Y, and Z, now it might be based off certain things. It might not be race, it might be a woman, you might, whatever dynamic it be, it might be a lot of things that why you can't get where you're at. But I want to teach, you know, all people, but I always go to, you know, African Americans again because that's who I am and that's what I, you know, I'm around and try to bring up to that level. You know, if somebody's up here, that's a group of people, I'm not, and then I see people down here, that would be, you know, you know, very ignorant of me and not try to bring them up here so we can have a, a real conversation. So as African Americans, you know, we have a, a lot of things that we're trying to get up here at the table. And so it's my job to make sure everything is equal. And so in order to do that, we have to be educated and know what's going on. And once you're educated and know what's going on, then you have a clear understanding of what's going on around you. Everything is not going to be racial to you. Everything is not going to be black and white. Sometimes you just don't know. But then when you know and you see things not right and still not given to you and that's another thing because I'm just sitting here I'm not just saying just because I'm a mayor I don't deal with racial stuff of course I do I'm the first black mayor of a city so you know I deal with challenges all the time not only from white people but from my own people as well so you know and I can be highly educated I was a police officer I you know went to uh did some training in Harvard. So I have the background and the education. And sometimes that's still not enough. You know, especially as African-Americans, it seems like it's never enough. But even though it's never enough, the education, your experience, your money, your class is not enough, still know it. I, so, I, think, you know. I think the advantage of like what you said and knowing, and you spoke to something that, that is big as, a, as an entrepreneur, um, you leverage the risk. I mean, they, they say entrepreneur risk taker. That's what we're doing. We're taking risk doing this because we're, you know, like uh, I'm creative w with this expression of my business and, and ma launching my own path. I think when people think that or in my opinion, if mm -hmm. you're an, if you're an entrepreneur for money, you should probably do something different mm -hmm. because the money won't ever equal the energy and investment you're putting into mm -hmm. it hence that whole when people say follow your passion 
it can be more fulfilling mm-hmm. than than just the emptiness of you know chasing a dollar. With yeah. that being said, you know you make the decisions that work best for you. Mm-hmm. But you spoke to something big: um, permits, zoning, uh, knowing where yeah. things go, and, mm-hmm. and these and these zonings and permits sometimes go back. Uh, it's an issue going on over here in my neighborhood. Sometimes these zonings and permits can go back to like the 1880s. Yes. You know, when things were drawn up mm-hmm. uh, and then having the right uh, legal representation to fight this. I mean, can you do things on your own without an attorney? Yes, you can definitely do things without an attorney. But when you're dealing with judges, mm-hmm. I don't know how many of you all that ever you been can to, elect yourself. I, I, I don't know how many of you all ever been to even the ones you elect ever set in, <laughs> in ever set in the courtroom. And I welcome any of you all. To sit in the back of a courtroom, you're a public citizen, you can, and yeah. you just see the nature of a court proceeding. Mm-hmm. And it's certain, uh, it's certain, it's certain etiquette, mm-hmm. it's bench etiquette, even mm-hmm. dealing with an attorney that that attorneys, ha- uh, dealing with a judge attorneys can have mm-hmm. versus you as a public citizen can have. Mm-hmm. Knowing, not knowing how to approach the bench mm-hmm. can get you thrown out of court in mm-hmm. itself. Mm-hmm. So the whole brash nature of like, I'm going to just do it myself, sometimes can get you further down the line. So you're taking this risk, opening a restaurant, opening a salon, opening, right. I don't know, a, a lemonade stand. Mm-hmm. Right. And you're like, OK, I shouldn't have to deal with that. I'm going to just go on and talk to the judge myself. Mm-hmm. You don't do it the right way. That that sends the ordinance another 10 days, mm-hmm. another 10 days. Now right. your money and your money, your time, your effort, the marketing campaign that you got is tied up in this lemonade stand thing. And you like, I'm going to just roll the dice and take the risk and open the lemonade stand anyway. Right. Uh, some, you know, you get by the first day, you get by the second day. Mm-hmm. You may get by the third day. The fourth day, something happens where you're caught in the, in the act. Now you've, you've disregarded the act of a judge. You uh, you got you got fines, you got sanctions, even if you know the mayor of the city is like, hey, man, you did something where I'm going to try to sort of see possibly I'm going to give you some advice, Mm -hmm. but I can't you you didn't follow what was good on paper. Mm -hmm. Hence, knowing the awareness and knowledge Mm -hmm. becomes an asset in how you make decisions and even how you take risks, because sometimes you will know the risk and you'll say. I'm risking that I'm risking that. Mm, we gonna go on and we, we can take right. this risk, and we and you recognize also the consequence of the risk. Mm-hmm. You know this happens. You know here here's a classic one that happens oftentimes. You know, and I have a nonprofit. I've done it before, but I did it the up and up way. But oftentimes it's a lot of establishments that use the uh, nonprofit liquor license. Mm-hmm. You know, so at, with a nonprofit organization in the state of Michigan, you can get a liquor license possibly for like a, a 48 hour period or something like mm-hmm. that if you're going to raise funds for something. Mm-hmm. Right. Sometimes the organization lends their their licensing for a, a establishment to buy liquor and sell liquor. You can purchase liquor through the liquor distributors. Mm-hmm. OK. When you do that. The fire marshal is coming to your event. And they're not coming to your event. If your event starts at 8 o'clock, they're not coming at 7. They're not coming at 8 o'clock on time. They're going to come probably when your party is rocking. Mm-hmm. And the first thing they're going to do is they're going to ask for the license. They're going to ask for the uh, bartender license of whoever you have serving liquor. You know, and they're also going to check the fire exits to make sure that this space is what was there on the blueprint. Yeah. If any three of those things happen where they don't go swimmingly well, what's going to happen is that the fire marshal is going to shut your party down. Mm-hmm. 
you know? Right. And that's true because even with having a building and a lot of people are going into having event spaces, yeah. you have to have a certain assigned parking for a certain amount of people that's in there. So you might, you know what I'm saying? So it's a lot of fire exits. Fire exits. If you're serving you know, food, it's certain, certain amount of bathrooms yeah. and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, like you were saying earlier, and which is in the book, uh, the book. Able, able body accessible. Yes, able, handicap accessible. Mm-hmm. Ex- exactly. You have the certain uh, handicap spots and things like that. And like you were saying, it's a city charter. But at the same time, going back, a little bit about what you were talking about, the discrimination in housing. There were also discrimination in business, having a business oh, in certain cities. Yeah. So in certain cities. So we have discrimination in cities and in and, and, and um as far as housing and businesses, there there was laws put in place I mean, talk, where certain people I'm, had, you know, uh, you know, a hard time in getting businesses. A hard time. The zoning right now for my neighborhood right now is connected to Detroit. It's still on the books. Like I say, it's old. It says Negro occupants can't own. Like, it's still a lot of stuff like that yeah. on the books. I mean, Tulsa, Oklahoma, as we talk about Black Wall Street. Mm-hmm. Uh, shout out Gap Band. You dropped a bomb yeah. on me. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, this stuff has historic lens mm-hmm. of, of of some of the atrocities of this place, mm-hmm. but still having an understanding of knowing how to navigate different things. Right. I mean, even black folks, the right to vote, it's, it's an amendment. An amendment means it's not written into law. Mm-hmm. It's an amendment. Like, they, they need to write it into law. Like, I mean, certain mm-hmm. things like that. I believe mm-hmm. the Voting Rights Act, as it's always renewed, will mm-hmm. be renewed. But mm-hmm. the question that also eventually comes like, why we got to keep renewing this? You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like it's it's like, you know, like th- this shouldn't be renewed. So right. the the this this onus in your your passion, obviously, for mm-hmm. politics mm-hmm. and this expanding and growing. What yeah. what was the what was the linchpin to get you involved in politics? I'm a nerd about certain things. What yeah. was it that led you into this space? Before I, I you know, answer that, I got to go back to something you said, if you don't mind. You go. told me about, you know, your area right now with the zoning. What have you done about that? Now, look, now the table's turned. I'm asking a question. Asking me a question. So, now, what have you done about that? Because, like I was saying, it's, it's, it's about taking mm-hmm. power and not saying, oh, I, I read something. Hands up. Let's move on. Let me go around that. What have you done? Because the laws that you see in the charter can always be amended by, guess what? You. I know. Okay. So, this is where I'm sounding like one of them uh, one of them celebrity people it's like right now my legal counsel because it's real we're dealing with the whole issue that brought all of this up so and i'm going to reveal this on detroit is different because we're it's been a learning lesson for anybody if you've ever paid for attorneys or dealt with attorneys Mm -hmm. you're always going to learn from an attorney you're you're always going to learn so keep that in mind so Mm -hmm. we're we're doing this the right way um we want to get past a couple of these hurdles first, mm-hmm. and then we're going to address a lot of this stuff and clean up. We actually have a community town hall meeting okay. that we're partnering with Bridge Detroit for, mm-hmm. and that will be May 24th. Mm-hmm. So Tuesday, May 24th, it'll be a community town hall meeting right in my a lot of studio, my lot over there, okay. uh, where we're welcoming people. And we're going to talk about that issue and okay. some other issues over here in the community. Um, you know, and, and I think that's the... You know, the, what's the movie? Aaron Brockovich. It takes like sometimes the commitment in, in maneuvering through these things takes mm-hmm. a little bit of right. takes some energy. But that's yeah. what that's what it is. Well, that's what your elected officials supposed to do. They're supposed you have a city attorney, 
that works for the city of Detroit. So when you have those issues, you address it, and they are supposed to, with your taxpayer money, address those laws to better serve you. Mm -hmm. So you're paying for your own attorney. That's awesome. But you have an attorney that you you buy into. As a resident, you buy into... you know, your your city and legal your mayors and, and mm-hmm. legal counsel. So that mm-hmm. is your, you know, they represent the city. So if you see a law that, you know, has discriminatory writings and things like that, you know, uh, and we have new state laws that pretty much exit that out and it has to be changed, you could, you know, that shouldn't take that long for you to address it. Did you address your council? Did you address the person in this district? Or did you say, you know what, I'm going to have a meeting, we're going to talk again, and we're going to eat some food. I mean, those are the mindsets that I, you know, I'm the type of person that, okay, we're going to talk one time. What, what you don't like? Okay, now let's do something about it. I know it's not that easy, but how long are we going to talk? How long are we going to have conversations? How long are we going to have barbecues and sit down and dinners and say, this is what we're going to do? Write it down, make it plain, and somebody going to go with the vision. So when are we going to start going with the vision? And that's why I wrote this book. You know how I just keep on bringing that up, like, <laughs> sliding that in. But, yeah, so you write it down, make it plain. And so, mm-hmm. again, the buy-in is the people that you elect to fight for you, to be your voice. Because why are you re-electing these people that you have to pay for your own lawyer, when you're paying taxpayer money, you have a couple of businesses in this area, and you're doing so much for the community. You are the, they should be buying into you mm-hmm. because you're rebuilding this community. You're helping them do something they don't have time to do. So you should you have that power. You have the po- power that you're not tapping into. You're using it in a certain way that everybody else is using it to. Not saying it's bad and you get people together, but we can all get people together. But what are we doing with that power? What are we doing with it? Are we talking? But we can create laws. You don't You don't have to be a state senator or a state representative to create a law. You can be an individual person and write a law that goes into, you know, that's a state law for Michigan. You don't have to be in those roles or those titles, you know. But we have to be more engaged in saying, okay, this is what I don't like. Let me find a person that oversees that and see what you're going to do about it. Then address it and then follow up. And then if you can't get anything, then if you have to go to your own lawyer and things like that to find out, then that's the next step. But if you don't hold the people that you vote for accountable, you know what I'm saying, and you're voting for these people, then what are we doing here? You're just voting for them to say, oh, I voted and I stood in line, I did what my grandma told me to do? No, that's why I wrote this book, so you can see what these people are accountable for, mm-hmm. to do to, to write laws for you, to rewrite laws for you. And if you're not, you know, knowing what these people and their, their roles are, and you're just voting for them, then why are we getting in line in the first place? Fair enough. Get the book. <laughs> okay. Get the I like it. I like it. So what was what was the what led you into politics? What, what um, was the uh catalyst? You know what? I I was in uh I was a police officer for eleven years, so you okay. know, I always had a heart to serve. Even what before titles, I always had a heart to serve serve my community, give back and things like that. You know, I moved to East Point and, you know, uh, East Point to me was always that city. You're going to see somebody jogging, walking their dog, and it was like, hi, you know. So I was like, that's the city I want to move in. It's so quiet. It's so happy. It's so joyful. And then when I moved into my city, I was like, okay, why my car that I parked in my driveway not there no more? So, you know, and so, you know, when I started seeing a crime, you know, uh, uh, increase to a certain level, not a huge one. I said, I want to do something about it, you know. So, yes, I was a police officer and I enforced the laws, but I want to be in a position where I create them too. And that what led me to doing what, you know, I'm doing today. Okay. What was it like serving as an officer? 
Uh, it was it was very challenging, you know. Uh, I say that to say because when I worked for the Wayne County Sheriff's Department, most of the people uh, who was in jail, who were incarcerated for a certain amount of time, they looked like me and you, and that bothered me. You know, I didn't like going uh, to work seeing people that looked like me, who were educated, who were in there for, uh, you know, small crimes and things like that, and you have families and asking you know, can I get extra food and asking, can I speak to my family or asking, can I watch TV like their children? You know, that I didn't that didn't bring me joy, you know. And so um, sooner or later, I said, this is not where I want to be. I want to be somewhere where I'm teaching people how to be more than just this, teaching people how, you know, this is not uh, the end game. It's more to life than just this. And, you know, when I used to talk to the, to the inmates, you know, I would call them sir and be very respectful because that's who they were. You know, um, until you came for until you came for me, then it was on the popping. But um, yeah, so you know, I respected them. You know, not on the popping like, hey, let's go. But you know, it's about you know making sure you have control of that environment because people can't just call you out your name and things like that. And they're you know, um, and they're not gonna get in trouble for it because if you don't do nothing about it, then it can cause you harm. Especially I'm a small woman and things like that. So you know, we have things that set up to make sure that you're respectful and we keep things in line and things like that. But other than that, I'm going to make sure that you are sir all, all day, you know. And so um, I didn't enjoy going to work every day, seeing people that look like me and seeing people uh, disrespect another person that looks like them. I, di I didn't understand that, you know. And how do we come from that, you know. And even when I used to talk to the inmates, they just automatically had in their mind, oh, you came from this neighborhood, Oh, you must have lived in the suburbs, or you did this, or you had a two-family household. I had a two-family household till I was probably the age of eight, and then my mom was a single mom with three kids, couldn't barely uh, raise her kids, and we had no food sometimes, and lights was cut off, and, you know, uh, my mom never really got to help me with my homework, and I had to raise my own sisters and help my mama uh, pay the bills. I didn't tell you all that because I don't have to, because I carry myself. I don't want that to be my story. That's part of my story. But I don't want to, you know, be where I am and want you to feel sorry for me. That's not my story. That's part of my story. And sometimes we take uh, who, what, what helped us be who we are and say, you know, well, you know, my mom was this. Yes, my mom was a single mom. But that's not what all she was. My mom was a businesswoman. My mom was a, a strong woman that raised three daughters. And then she made a history maker. And she didn't even know what she had, but she did her very best. So that's not her story. She's a single mom, and that's it. A mom that was on welfare, that's it. That's not her story. That's part of her story, but that's not her story. My story is not, oh, I had a single mom, my mom did this. That's part of my story. But my story is, you know what, this is who I was, but this is who I am, and this is who I'm going to be, so let me show you how to do it. That's powerful. That's powerful. Mm -hmm. All right, so with that, as we get closer to a close, I don't know what else you want to share. But we definitely want to get people, if they want to connect with you, if they want to get the book, if they want to uh, learn, if they want to pop in, uh, pop in council, connect, how, how do they go about that? Well, absolutely. Thank you so much. for. So, again, uh, Mom, What's a Mayor? You can go to the website, momwhatsamayor.com, and order your book. The book, uh, a regular copy is $19.99. A signed copy is $24.99. And if you want the combo, with the gavel is twenty nine ninety nine, and also you can donate. You know we take a lot of donations. If you want to donate some books, we go. I go to schools and speak to schools all over. You know all over the United States and 
also get kids to understand what government is. I also am um, going to Princeton next month to speak at Princeton. So God has allowed me to go to places. I said, Princeton, when Princeton called me, I said, what's really going on? Um, also going to Harvard University um, in Cambridge. These are places that I was like, never imagined myself going. And so the things that you want, the things that you think you can accomplish, it is reachable. And I want to show you how to do that. You can do all things through Christ that strengthens you. It's, he's, you serve a big God, so think big. So I said that to say, I am also want to announce I am running for state senator. Wow. And so for the 11 district, so that wow. is uh, Macomb County and part of Wayne County. So I got eight mile all the way to seven mile um, between uh, Kelly, uh, closer to Gratiot. So I'm getting some of my, you know, my roots in there. And so I'm very excited. It's my first time running for state senator. And so, you know, and I just want to push that so we can have better education, better schools, better jobs. I want Michigan to be a more of a producer and not a consumer of products. You know, we need to bring the money back to our state and stop sending it out. So um, if you live in that area, uh, East Point, Roseville, all the way out, um, uh, I'm, I'll be your state senator. So, you know, if you know anybody uh, that wants to be a part of the team, I, you know, I need people to walk, you know, uh, to walk and knock doors, you know, looking for, you know, uh, your help to making a difference. And again, I can talk about power every day, but, you know, if people standing behind me, you know, we are forced to be reckoned with. So, you know, if you want to uh, email me, go to MayorMoniqueOwens at gmail.com. You know, if you have questions about the book, about being a mayor or, you know, helping you through a campaign and things like that, helping you uh, better serve your community. But if you want to help me as being the next senator of the state of Michigan, then go to Monique Owens for Senate. Um, at gmail.com. Thank you so much. That's powerful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. The city of Detroit has $826 million from the federal government, and Bridge Detroit wants to know how you want the money to be spent. Summer 2021, President Joe Biden's administration and Congress enacted the American Rescue Plan Act. Through this act, Detroit has received funding. Mayor Mike Duggan's administration and the 2021 Detroit City Council made decisions on the spending for these federal funds. Bridge Detroit, in collaboration with Detroit is Different, are now asking where, how, and what are the things Detroiters want to see done with the funding. Starting in May and running through the start of July, we will host a series of open forum discussions throughout the city of Detroit's neighborhood districts. We welcome you to engage our politicians about the money. All these discussions will be held in community houses you trust. This is an opportunity where residents will have their voices heard, captured, and shared in journalism, video, and podcasts. We ask of you to join us on a mission of discovery.